it isn't by chance that birds fly in flocks and that fish swim in schools. As it turns out, they're actually smarter when they act in a group. But is it possible to leverage that same kind of collective intelligence in human beings, and maybe even to extend that into other approaches of AI? Today on the Tech Emergence Podcast, we have Lewis Rosenberg, uh, who's a PhD from Stanford, where he focused on human-computer interaction and robotics. He was previously the founder of a company called Immersion, a virtual reality company that went public in, in 1999. And now he runs a company called Unanimous.ai, where they're focusing on harnessing swarm intelligence with human beings. Quite an interesting topic, certainly off the beaten path of neural nets or expert systems or other topics we've covered here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. We speak with Lewis about uh, not only how this particular system has been applied to human beings in terms of garnering a better collective ability to predict uh, with a group rather than with a single individual, and this goes beyond the wisdom of crowds, um, into what this kind of swarm intelligence might mean when we're talking about multiple artificial intelligences in the future. Might this be an approach to sort of enhance or augment uh, other AI approaches? You know, I mentioned in the interview that, that uh, Google's program that beat Go recently uh, beat the Go champion recently, uh, combined a number of AI approaches, is it possible that this could maybe be one tool in the tool belt in the future uh, of artificial intelligence? And Lewis has some interesting perspective there. So certainly a little bit of a different approach than we've covered previously on the show, but I think it'll be an interesting one for everyone tuned in. So Lewis, before we get into the, the technical side of how we replicate uh, hive intelligence. Um, where is this seen in the real world? I think, you know, in order to, to replicate it with humans, it's nice to have an idea of where hive intelligence comes about. What are some great examples of this? Right. So the, you know, the basic idea behind swarm intelligence is that groups are smart and, uh, and nature has, has figured out how to bring groups together in a whole bunch of different ways. And biologists basically refer to that broadly as, as swarm intelligence. And you see it uh, across lots of different species. Uh, it's the reason why fish form schools and birds form flocks and bees form swarms. Mm. The, 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 the objective, the, the, the motivation, the, the reason that these, these systems evolved was to allow the group to amplify its intelligence beyond the capability of, of any individual member. And of all the different uh, species out there, the one that's been studied the most is actually honeybees, um, partly because honeybees are uh, basically our species that people have domesticated and yes. can really study in great detail. And, uh, and it's been really amazing work over the last 50 years studying honeybees and revealing remarkable levels of intelligence that we just wouldn't imagine. And, and most people really have no idea uh, about how smart honeybees are. Especially when you consider the fact that a single honeybee is a is a very simple is a very simple being and uh, is not capable of making complex decisions is not ma a, capable of making optimized decisions. But when you take uh, a group of honeybees together and and they behave as a system, a closed loop system called a swarm, they can make these types of decisions. And the the decision that's the most well studied is when honeybee swarms uh, choose a new hive. And they do, this, uh, they do this every year. A honeybee swarm will have you know, maybe 20,000 bees, 
and every year uh, in the spring, 10,000 of those bees will split off and go form a new hive. Wow. And, and they need to choose a location for their home. And so what they do is they send out scout bees and usually 200 to 400 scout bees that will search a 30 square mile area to look for potential home locations. And those home locations are, you know, could be in uh, an empty log or in, you know, an old shed. And, but these home locations, um, they're going to, these scout bees will go out, find, a, you know, a couple dozen candidate sites to move, to move their hive to their colony will go move into this, uh, one of these candidate sites and they go th and they, f and these three to these 300, 400 scout bees will go out, they'll search an area, they'll come back to the colony and they'll form a swarm. And this swarm will make a decision as to which of these sites they're going to go to. And they need to, they, they're going to evaluate these sites based on a whole bunch of different criteria. You know, is the site large enough to, to hold the honey that they need to store for the winter? Can the site be ventilated well enough in the summer? Is the site insulated well enough for the winter? Is the site safe from predators? Is it high enough off the ground? Is it protected from the rain? I mean, it's actually a very, very complex decision yeah. that, that you could imagine, you know, the CEO of a company having a hard time making a decision of, of uh, what's the right What's the right site to pick? Yeah. And yet, uh, there's been amazing research by, uh, by a, a professor, Thomas Seeley at Cornell, who, who studied and tracked these bees in, in excruciating detail and found that the bees will pick the optimal site out of these dozens of potential sites more than 80% of the time, which is remarkable. So now what you have is uh, you have a, an intelligence, an emergent intelligence that comes out of the interactions of these 200 to 400 bees working together as a closed loop system that is able to make a decision that we would say is you know, a human level decision. It's, you know, it's, a decision yeah. it's a decision that a CEO of a company would have a hard time optimizing, and yet the individual members are would be unable to even conceive of the problem. And that's, and that's what a, a swarm intelligence does. It, it's amplifying the intelligence of individuals into a, a holistic intelligence of the group that is, that is actually smarter and able to make better decisions than any of the individuals. And the, the amazing thing is the way these bees do it is they form this system and they, they literally vibrate their bodies at different frequencies. They call it a, a waggle dance. And based on, the, based on the direction of the vibration and the intensity of the vibration, they are basically negotiating in real time. They're, they're forming this closed-loop system where some vibrations uh, will, will get louder and some vibrations will get softer, and they'll basically be uh, pushing and pulling on each other until they converge on a solution that they can best agree upon. And so uh, they are basically... Uh, forming this this system with feedback where they're going to they're going to explore all the options and land on a local maxima that optimizes their their collective satisfaction yeah and and in that way they're finding a decision and and what's remarkable is that um there have been a, a number of interesting studies where people have compared the way bee swarms work to the way brains work and they're actually very similar if, if you you know, both you know a bee swarm and a brain at the highest level are doing similar things. They're both populations 
of simple units. So yeah. a, a brain is a population of neurons. A bee swarm is a population of bees. But they're they're basically both systems of simple units that are working in parallel. They're integrating noisy evidence. They're com they're weighing competing alternatives, and they're converging on a decision. And they and it actually works where you have these different these different levels of excitation. So in a in you know, in a neuron, there's an activation signal. In a bee, there's the vibration of the body. But but they're both working very similarly to to have these competing signals that push and pull and then converge on a decision. And so in a in a in a lot of ways, what a bee swarm is is really a brain of brains. And because inside of each bee are neurons, obviously, they yes. have their own brains. And so it's really taking the idea of a brain to that next level. It's creating a brain of brains. And, and as a result, you have these simple agents, these bees, when they work together in a closed loop system, can amplify their intelligence and can perform at a level that, that none of the individuals could do alone. Yeah. And so, and so the, the, that really, that founding principle is really what got me excited about about swarm intelligence and this idea of of artificial swarm intelligence which is can we build an artificial swarm that's not connecting bees together but connecting people together and if so can we amplify human intelligence the same way could we create yeah. an emergent intelligence out of out of a swarm of people that has the same level of amplification that a bee swarm has compared to an individual bee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's interesting. Can we learn the waggle dance as well? Um, <laughs> that's that's what that's what I really want to know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so so that's that's a curious way of putting it. Uh, a brain of brains, I think, was interesting. And being a cognitive science guy, you know, reading just sort of the fundamentals on on swarm intelligence when when you folks had sent it along. Um, resonated with, you know, what, what we know of, of neurology to a decent extent, right? You know, various, various signals of various strengths and some sort of ultimate sort of concept that'll emerge from there or, or a, a pattern that'll win out, uh, you know, based on, on its intensity. So we'll recognize, oh, that's the letter A or that's a person coming at me or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and these are bees who, you know, you can imagine individually can't can't really conceive of the weather probably and can't really conceive of all possible predators and can't really conceive of um you know ventilation and cooling like it'd be very very difficult to consider both of those or, or all of those factors i should say but somehow when they're they're pulling together they're they're sort of arguing i guess we could say negotiating in groups among each other pulling each other in different directions they they end up uh, finding finding an ideal an ideal path very very curious sort of thing and so again your question was is it is it possible to connect human intelligences uh, in a way where there might be some sort of a leveraging of technology to go farther than one person's intelligence uh, could could go um, now I'm interested in you talked about I mean there's a lot of great examples in nature that I'm, I'm interested in googling but when it comes down to people. Um, have, have there been, I know that's at, at your present company, I mean, you've done a lot business-wise I mean, you had a virtual reality company and kind of a robotics guy in terms of your PhD. And now, now you're in sort of the, the swarm intelligence world. 
where are people using this? Your technology or otherwise. I just want to see what kind of tangible yields are people gleaning from swarm intelligence uh, in, in the world today? Right. So uh, for speaking for, for myself and, and my company, which uh, is Unanimous AI, and we, we basically were founded on this premise of can we allow humans to leverage this natural property of swarm intelligence the way other species do. And, you know, and your point was, is well taken, which is that, well, people can't waggle dance. <laughs> and so that, that's really the first fundamental challenge is can we build an artificial infrastructure that, uh, that can allow people to form a closed loop system that mirrors what a bee swarm does. And uh, you know, we didn't evolve the ability to do a waggle dance. We didn't evolve the ability that, that ants have with, yeah. with pheromones. So what, we, what we've done is we've uh, created a system where people can log in and, and leverage our, our internet infrastructure, which is the first big piece, and, uh, and form a closed loop system where they can push and pull on each other to answer questions and make decisions. Because really, the power of a swarm intelligence, at least in, in the way that, that bees use it is, is really a decision-making ability. It's the ability for a group to make decisions at a higher level than they could as individuals. And so uh, we created a system called UNU that allows groups to, to answer questions together, uh, pushing and pulling on the decision space in real time with, with the same types of controls that, that a waggle dance would allow, but we're allowing people to do it through a, a traditional PC or, or a, a tablet. And um, and then we've put that out there to, to allow groups to see, well, how will they use that? How will they use this swarm intelligence ability? And we're, we see people using it to uh, to make all kinds of interesting decisions and predictions, predictions related to sports, predictions related to politics, uh, decisions related to medical diagnosis. Uh, you know, the, the great ones to talk about are ones that are predictions because we can we can measure the amplification that, yes, we, yes, that yes. we see. Performance, so, performance. The performance. And so, for example, uh, we, uh, we had uh, a group of, of 50 people uh, predict the Oscars. And, and we did this as a very controlled study where we had 50 people predict the Oscars. And the first thing we did is we had them predict the, the top 15 awards first just on a, on a standard poll. So we were going to ask for their individual capabilities uh, when when predicting the Oscars, then we asked then and and when and when they did it on a standard poll as individuals, they got actually six right out of fifteen, which is about forty percent accuracy. Yeah, it's pretty and, rough. And that's that's rough, but the Oscars are pretty tough. It's tough yes. to predict the Oscars. Then we we use the standard wisdom of crowds method, and the standard wisdom of crowds method uh, is to look at the most popular answers in a poll or a survey, basically saying, well. If we look at what most people out of these 50 predicted, how would they do? And, and as in, in, the way, uh, in the way we see in a lot of studies, the wisdom of crowd method works. The group, instead of getting six right as individuals, when you take the most popular answers, they got seven right out of 15. So they got, got up to 47% correct. But then we had the group come together as a swarm where they were going to 
make the same predictions, but they're going to do it in real time as a closed loop system where they're going to be pushing and pulling on each other, exploring the decision space and converging on that solution that they can best agree upon. And they got 11 right out of 15. So they leapt all the way up to 73% correct. And what's amazing is that if you look at the average expert, um, like movie reviewer, the average expert was about 66% correct across like 30 different newspapers. So what we saw was 50 average people who as individuals were pretty poor. They got six out of 15 correct as, out of individuals. Yeah, yeah. But as a swarm, were able to amplify their intelligence to expert level and actually slightly better than expert, expert level. And they did that by finding the answers that that leveraged their combined knowledge and wisdom and intuition. And just like those scout bees, some of these people had seen uh, had seen you know reviews of the movies on on NPR or on uh, you know a variety yeah, uh, yeah, magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, some and and what's what's remarkable is that when we polled these people and we asked them, you know, who out of these fifty people had actually seen all the movies? None of them had seen all the movies. And so. And what they were doing was that they were filling in the gaps in each other's knowledge while they were forming this closed loop system. It's, it's a feedback loop. And just like a waggle dance of a bee, when, when people interact with, with this system, they're able to convey their, their preference as well as their level of conviction. And so if, for example, uh, I'm pulling the, the group, the answer, towards uh, towards a particular movie, towards Mad Max, because I think it's going to win Best Picture. Yep. Uh, but, but I'm pulling towards Mad Max, but somebody else is pulling towards The Revenant, and I didn't see The Revenant. Well, I, my love, my conviction is going to go down because I, you know, may, I'm going to be thinking, well, maybe these other these other participants know something about the Revenant that I don't know, and so everyone, and this is happening among, you know, 50 people at the same time. Everybody adjusting their adjusting their preference, adjusting their level of conviction, and converging on a solution that that basically finds that that middle ground, that local maxima that optimizes across all of their their levels of, of satisfaction. Yeah, uh, 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 and like you said, filling in the gaps for each other. Uh, just because I'm somewhat wary of, of timeless, but I am interested in normally we, we don't really make these shows about one person's technology the whole time, yep. but, but I'm yep. interested in, in what you, you know, just, just because you're forced to think about this, like you're actually forced to as the CEO, it's like <laughs> you're, you're literally forced. Um, it is, I'm interested in this, who, who could or would or are um, the, the customer uh, for this kind of a thing. Obviously, this would be the objective would be now there's all kinds of like, like, you know, Watson won um, uh, Jeopardy because that's cool press. Um, Jeopardy, probably not a great market uh, for Watson. Um, it's, it's, you know, that there's a difference. So uh, you were talking about medical, you were talking about some other spaces, talking about where you see the tangible yield here, whether it exists now or whether you really believe in it moving forward as the CEO, where are the spaces where you believe swarm intelligence can have a tangible yield um, in, in, in some sort of a business and meaningful sense? And then similarly, uh, are there any of those today that are worth talking about or maybe even just possibilities you're excited about? I'm really curious as to your thoughts. It's a very unique topic. Sure. So um, really anywhere that, that groups of people uh, have diverse knowledge that could be 
that could be integrated to achieve good good decisions or good forecasts or good predictions is, is really an ideal place for swarm intelligence. And so uh, any place where people are doing forecasting, and obviously, you know, forecasting for sports or for movies is, is kind of a, a sexy topic, but people are forecasting all kinds of things from sales of, you know, widgets to, uh, to interest rates, yeah. to really, really anything that you forecast from politics to business could, could benefit from swarm intelligence. Ah. And, and in fact, um, if you have a large group of participants and a diverse group, uh, we believe the forecasts will will get better, and and in fact we're we're currently conducting a study uh, as a partnership with with Marist College, uh, their Center for Sports Communication, to to look at uh, the, what we have is a whole bunch of different swarms predicting March Madness, because again that's a again a very sexy thing that people yeah, can predict. Yeah, it, it is. But but what the study that we're doing is actually quite serious, which is to look at different makeups of swarms. Swarms of experts. We have a swarm of sports writers. Yes. Have, okay. We, Interesting. We have a swarm of sports writers. We have a swarm of average fans. We have swarms that are made up of diff, people of different personality types, with the with the idea being, well, what makes what makes an effective swarm? And uh, you know, it could be that it you know, there's a lot of different parameters. It could be the size of the swarm. It could be the diversity of the swarm. You know, my personal belief is that an effective swarm is one that has participants who come at the problem from a number of different perspectives. And, and for that reason, we're, we've been very interested in, in medical diagnosis as, as a place where swarming is, is really interesting. Because very often, you know, in today's medicine, people specialize to a, to a great degree, and you have a group of specialists, you know, a radiologist, an oncologist, uh, an internist, who, who all are, are going to contribute knowledge to a decision. And if they can make that decision as a swarm, uh, the question is, can they can they reach the optimal decision more often uh, than uh, than if you uh, had them make the decisions independently and then just had you know a, an individual mediate between them? And you know, typically decisions are made in a hierarchy structure right now, where you have a bunch of different opinions and then somebody tries to coalesce those different opinions. Well, that's not how nature does it. Nature, you know, nature spent you know millions of years of evolution to figure out well how do you how do you coalesce input from groups to reach a decision nature does it through swarms not through a hierarchy and and our belief is that people if people can do it through swarms they're probably going to reach uh, optimal decisions far more often and um, and also you know in, in it's a technology that wouldn't have been possible without the internet infrastructure yep. but now that we have it we can actually leverage this uh, this capability of basically amplifying our intelligence if we have swarms of people with either different, no, you know, diverse knowledge or diverse backgrounds or yes. diverse perspectives. And so I think you know it's clearly a sort of a nascent uh, technology, but definitely a unique sort of intelligence amplification, uh, you know, technology bit uh, that I think has as curious promise. And it's it's very interesting because. It almost makes you think about, you know, you, you talked about having a number of folks who are sort of amateur moviegoers um, who, who are coming together and converging to, to find, uh, you know, uh, proper predictions for the Oscars. Or even when you just read the old school wisdom of crowds, uh, you know, town fair, get everybody's opinion on how much this cow weighs. Um, even that really brings to mind sort of this idea that 
maybe there's something that we're not putting into the calculator. You know, maybe there's the, this sort of force of, of uh, you know, I, I, I don't, don't get woo-woo on the show very often, but I mean, it, it just makes you ponder this sort of other modes and, and intuitive sort of sub-channels of communication that clearly aren't really what we pick up with our eyes very much. But like you said, I mean, birds, uh, fish, bees, so many other species are in some way leveraging this quite powerfully. And I think it's it's interesting to study. And I'm, I'm very excited about the potential medical applications. But I think, you know, forecasting sales, um, anywhere where predictions matter, uh, and there's a number of people with varied expertise that could, uh, you know, make, make those predictions more or less accurate, uh, I think I think if there's a tangible yield there, I think there's a market for it, and obviously it's what you guys have to be rooting for. My my last question, uh, Lewis, um, as we sort of wrap up here, is around uh, the crisscross of this and what is now sort of being pursued uh, in the artificial intelligence world uh, as, as other approaches. Your own you know background again, robotics for for your PhD. Um, you've got to dabble around a bit in artificial intelligence, I'm sure. It seems as though if, if in fact there is a better yield for guessing, whether it be sports or business or medicine or what have you, uh, or, or weather, let's say, there's money to be made there. Um, if, if there's better predictions to be made, might, um, might this pooled collective human insight be used to train, let's say, a better expert system than our current expert systems that are built off of the knowledge of a few people? Might this method of pooling the relative knowledge of a bunch of humans to come to decisions around, you know, business or or, or predictions in in the financial markets or in industry spending or whatever the case may be, um, or insurance or what have you, might might those pooled insights of a lot of relevant humans um, be used to even train neural nets? You know, might might there there be ways for this technology to enhance other currently being sort of uh, pursued approaches in AI? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I think that there's a lot of potential for crossover between uh, neural, basically uh, artificial neural-based intelligences and and swarm-based intelligences. And you know, one example that like you give is that if you're going to try to to harness the ex- expertise of of experts when training a neural network to build an expert system, well, if you use a, a swarm among those experts, you, you can potentially create a super expert. And, and so now you can train that neural network based on the, the, the decisions of a super expert. I, I, so I think that there's, uh, there's potential feed forward from, uh, from a swarm intelligence to a neural network. I think it also can work in, in reverse as well, which is, uh, you know, swarm intelligence is really about a closed loop system among among a group of individuals, allowing them to converge on optimal decisions. Uh, you can imagine uh, adaptive neural networks as part of that system that would uh, that could learn to optimize the way the swarm interacts to uh, to, to reach even better decisions than yeah. we, we might naturally. And so there's definitely there's definitely parallels between between the two processes. And really those parallels go all the way back to nature, where if you you know if you look at it in the most abstract level, a swarm and a neural network are, are really very similar. They're just at they're at different levels. You know, a, a swarm is one level up where the the agents that are interacting and and uh, and basically battling against each other with different levels of activation are 
are higher level, but they're and so like like we said at the beginning, it's like a brain of brains. Well, if you if you really think about a swarm as a brain of brains, you could imagine that neural networks are part of that process to to just self-optimize it, its own structure. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking of for a neural net example, um, we talk about uh, you know even just something like image recognition. I think there's interesting work around. Um, looking at verbs from images, you know, running, juggling, drinking, um, determining what's happening in a picture. And I know that this, you know, all the big guys are already playing around in this space, but it'd be curious to say, if we take a number of different neural networks trained on a whole bunch of different data sets with maybe slightly different approaches, and we, we test their, their own efficacy, but we have something in the background that per image is letting them pull and toggle uh, you know, their degree of preference or belief that this is a woman running or that this is a dog swimming or that this is a, uh, a, a ball dropping, you know, whatever the case may be, um, it, it, if you could look at the rightness uh, of, of, of that, that swarmed uh, conclusion as opposed to, um, you know, the individual neural nets, maybe you would be able to shake something out of there too. So it just, it feels as though this is a, a Sort of, you know, the recent win of of um, uh, of DeepMind over um, uh, over the the Go champion there appeared to be a whole number of of approaches to artificial intelligence sort of pooled together. This is almost prompting ideas in my head to say, "Man, is this a, a good way to train or to even use the collected insight of neural networks of what what everybody else is sort of toggling with these days?" Right. It's. I mean. I think ultimately these you know these two different approaches can can work together in in a whole bunch of different synergistic ways. Uh, there you know there is there is uh, work in a there's an area of research called particle swarm optimization, which models uh, more the way it, the way bird you know flocks of birds fly and schools of fish swim, mm. but they but they use that actually as a Technique for training neural networks, and um, and so there's you know there's already work looking at kind of crossovers between swarm-based bi biological models and neural-based biological models, and, and really it's because you know nature primarily only gives us two two models by which intelligence has evolved, uh, and they're related because the swarm-based models are built up of Creatures that have you know Brains, neural yes. networks in in them, yeah. but um, but those you know those are the two models by which higher level intelligence is built from from simpler elements, and they ultimately probably work together in uh, in a whole bunch of different ways when just trying to build uh, build artificial intelligences or uh, in trying to to build uh, you know just highly intelligent systems that can leverage the the intelligence of of people as part of the process and what was the name of that field of research again Lewis just very quickly uh, particle swarm optimization particle swarm optimization what a what an interesting uh, hey you learn something new every day I mean I I, I always say that uh, um, you know, I, I get a lot of very good research homework from uh, interviews and and I think this is certainly no exception Lewis I, I really do appreciate you uh, join us here on Tech Immersions today and sharing your insights on swarm intelligence. It's been a pleasure to have you. 
yeah, no, it was, it was fun. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.